0: Welcome to the Mission Gathering Thornton Message i was thinking about, about fall days so from almost seven years ago, uh, so it was October of 2012 when I was traveling to the U.S.-Mexico border as part of a, a, a study trip when I was in seminary. Uh, for those, of those seminaries like graduate school for pastors, so uh, part of the study trip in seminary where we went down to the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, to, Flew into Tucson from Colorado, and it was just a few months after my daughter Lex was born. Uh, Lex is my first child. And I was taking part in this experiential week long learning program called Border Links. Uh, so it's this program down in Tucson which explores kind of the difficulties of migration and life along the US Mexico border. Uh, so we do a lot of different things while we're there. We, we walked along the migrant trails in the desert, we, we witnessed migration-related uh, court proceedings, we visited shelters, we went to detention centers, I mean, we kind of did it all, um, just kind of exploring everything and all the, all the things that go along around the border and, and those issues related. And even more so, we went and actually went across the border and, and stayed in Nogales, Mexico, I think I'm saying that right, Nogales, or something like that, anyway. We spent the night in a shelter, uh, in, in Mexico, and in, in is where we spent the night, we, we spent the night at this, um, it was an adequate, but a bit rustic, I guess I'd say. We had these uh, compostable toilets, which I was not a big fan of, uh, but it was adequate nonetheless. And uh, the thing we're, that we were told to be most wary of, if you can imagine, was not to drink the water, right? So, you know, we are strongly advised, don't drink any water under any circumstances unless, unless it's bottled or, you know, like in a, in like a Coca-Cola or something. So i have done real well all day drinking my bottled water or water I'd brought from Arizona. But as I got ready for bed that night, and I fell into my nighttime routine, I let my guard down a little bit, and I wet my toothbrush with water from the tap. Before brushing my teeth, you know, who doesn't do that, right? Who? Yeah. So, you know, I said, like, oops. And then I tried to, like, rinse it off with some bottled water, and I just kind of brushed my teeth, thinking, like, nothing of it, hoping nothing would be wrong. And, you know, it was only a little bit of water. I thought, it can't be that big of a deal. And uh, a day and a half later, I found out it could be kind of a big deal, right? Um, now, you know, in hindsight it wasn't really all that bad, but certainly in the moment it was not a lot of fun. So we went back uh, to the, the, the United States side of the border, and you know, around, I think, it, like I said, it was like a day and a half later, maybe a day later that it was, I went to bed early. and turning, like, all through the evening. And uh, as things would happen, that same night, I'm pretty sure it was, Karina called me and said, hey, Lexi's not feeling well. Again, Lexi, our two-and-a-half-month-old daughter at the time. Lexi's not feeling well, and I think you took her to urgent care. So I was like, oh boy, that's great. So, I, probably like an hour later, I get another call from Karina, from the urgent care, and say, hey, they're worried about Lexi's oxygenation levels, and they're taking her by ambulance all the way to Children's Hospital, somewhere from like Broomfield all the way to Children's Hospital. So here I am laying in bed, feeling just miserable, and I'm thinking to myself, oh boy, like this could, this could be a serious problem. And here I am, feeling miserable. I, gotta, I might have to figure out a way to like, get myself up, get myself dressed, and somehow get myself packed up and to the airport when I'm feeling like I might, you know, you know. Now, fortunately, um, as things would happen, uh, Lexi was actually dreaded and released, I think, after just a few hours. And I, I fell asleep, surely, I want to say around midnight. Uh, so I woke up sometime the next morning, still feeling of. Pretty, pretty yucky—the technical term for the word, right?
1: <laughs> and uh, even though I was back in the U.S., the study
0: trip wasn't over. We were actually going to meet that morning with a a couple of young um, undocumented migrants who were students, high school students in the area, and you know lived in, and went to school nearby. So it was as the meeting began, I kind of made my way gingerly into the room and I sat down, you know, begrudging the fact that I was going to sit here through this meeting when I was still feeling pretty terrible. And as I sat there, these two teenage boys began to kind of talk about this their situation. You know, how they'd come to America as, as two, you know, young kids, young boys, probably two or three years old, I think they had said, with their parents, but without you know proper documentation. And they were now trying to finish high school and then figure out a way to go to college without any kind of real documentation or, or legal status in the country. And of course, they were they were doing all this and trying to make all these these goals and aspirations for their education and their for their career under the umbrella, realizing that at any moment, at any time, they could be caught, you know, uh, captured, whatever the word we want to use, and sent back to Mexico because of their. Undocumented status, having to leave the only home they've known, you know, really their entire life. But as I sat there, with my my stomach growling and my head spinning, I thought to myself, "Who cares? Cry me a river. I've got my own problems to deal with." I still felt terrible. My infant daughter was just in the hospital last night. Why should I care about your problems when I've got my own problems to deal with? (laughs) Not exactly the most compassionate response, right, from someone trained to be a pastor. But there I was. And maybe it's just so I feel less guilty, but but it's 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 a situation we've all found ourselves in, perhaps, at one time or another. We hear about children... Suffering from hunger, you know, families struggling to get by, people facing discrimination, or oppression, and perhaps we think to ourselves, no, that's too bad," and we leave it at that. I mean, it's not that we think it's right. It's not that we're necessarily indifferent or don't care. It's it's just like that, like me sitting there seven years ago. We think to ourselves, "I got plenty enough." I've got plenty enough problems to deal with on my own. I can't handle dealing with your problem, too. And as callous, as uncaring as that sounds, it, it is. It is callous and uncaring. In some sense, so, I mean, there is some real truth to that, right? I mean, unless you're, you're rich and famous, this is, this is just a hard time, I feel like, to live in America. I mean, whether you're single, whether you're in a relationship with a family, I mean, housing it seems like it's practically unaffordable. Healthcare costs are obscene and, you know, there's so many people have student loan debt or other forms of debt that just seem crushing. So, it's so a problem like me, you're not, you're not like, it's not like you're an antagonistic toward immigrants, you're not okay with racism and prejudice, you're not even okay, you know, you don't like seeing the real life struggles of LGBT plus persons. That's just like, man, you're trying to pay the rent. You're trying to help figure out how to pay your medical bills. And your kids are just struggling to get by in school, and it's just, what else can you do? So it's not that we don't care, it's not that we're okay with these things, it's just that we feel like we don't have the time or the energy to deal with these things, because we've got so much to deal with on our own. And every hour, every minute, I mean, it feels like every second that we don't spend worrying about our own problems, Is a minute or second or hour lost to taking care of our own struggles or our own family's struggles? And if we don't take care of us, who will? I mean, in many ways, we're kind of taught that life is this this inherent zero sum game. Zero sum kind of means like, you know, there's there's one winner and everyone else is going to be a loser. It's, it's kind of like we're in this massive game of capture the flag. they we never played capture the flag. Usually in capture the flag, there's like there's two teams and they're all trying to go for each other's flag. And whoever gets the opposing flag wins. I mean, it feels like in life, though, right now, that we're, we're all in this massive game of capture the flag, except we're all on our own individual teams, all going after this one singular flag, trying to find, you know, trying to win for ourselves and fend off everyone else in the process, trying to find health, happiness, and, you know, and uh, good fortune for ourselves. So it, so it's not that, it's not like you know, we don't care about other people, but it's like, we can't care about the undocumented immigrant. We can't because if, if we do care for these people, like my own daughter, my own family will lose ground. And yeah, we don't like it, we don't like things the way they are, but that just feels like that's the way they are. What else are we to do? What else? What else can we do? So several years ago, there was a there was a pastor who kept running into these same issues himself. William Barber is his name, and he's he was at the time, and it's still actually uh, now. He he was a pastor of this church called Greenleaf Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, which is actually uh, a sister church of ours in, in this network of churches we're part of called the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. And if if you're wondering, well, what does that mean? Well, let me tell you. Uh, we're, in this, we're in the midst of a, a series called Your Story, Our Story, in which we're looking at some of the ways our individual stories fit into the broader uh, story of this network of churches we're in called the Christian Church, Cycle of Christ. And in, throughout the series, we're trying to highlight some of the ways, the issues we care about fit into um, our broader, these broader issues that make up uh, our broader uh, church group. Issues like inclusion, welcome, justice, and and unity that are important to other people in churches just like ours. So William Barber uh, was an African-American pastor who grew up in the South, kind of the post-civil rights area of the South, In a family that was very committed to equality and and opportunity equality for for folks in the United States. So growing up, you know, he was so committed to you know trying to help people uh, achieve a better life. He actually went to school, he went to college to become a lawyer. But it was while he was in college that the words of the old testament prophet Micah began to stir in his heart and direct him down. A different path. So, we're, uh, the words of Micah 6.8, and I'm going to read them from the message. It's a little, uh, little simplistic translation. But I hope I think he kind of gets the point across in a way that's really understandable. Uh, so, Micah 6.8 says he's already made it plain how to live, what to do, what God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple: do what is fair and just to your neighbor, be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. Perhaps you've heard it another way. When I was growing up, I heard it in the King James Version, which was, What has God required of you? Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Those were the words that spoke deeply to William Barber when he was in college, and that words of that Old Testament prophet, Micah. Now, I want to take a minute just real quick to explain uh, when we think of the word prophet today, we often think of someone like a fortune teller or someone who could predict the future. Uh, that, that wasn't quite an accurate uh, description of what an Old Testament prophet was. I like to think about it uh, kind of in terms of like a, a meteorologist, you know, someone who predicts the weather. You know, a meteorologist— They'll kind of gather the data, gather the facts, gather you know, look back you know, in previous trends, and kind of make a prediction about what's going to happen in the future, kind of based on all the facts that they've gathered. In many ways, I think this was kind of the role of an Old Testament prophet. They'd kind of look at what's happening in their nation, uh, they kind of see what might be coming on the rise, and they kind of say, like, "Hey, we need to do something different. We need to change, or else some bad things are going to happen." And Michael was an Old Testament prophet. He said, "Hey, we've got to do things different. We've got to love." Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. He spoke to his his people. So this is what uh, William Barber began to do. As a pastor, he began working uh, for fairness and equality in the neighborhood in which he worked to spread God's compassion and love to all his neighbors and to all those in need. But one thing uh, Pastor Barber repeatedly noticed as he tried to bring neighbors and neighborhoods together to support one another— Is that people had different issues that were important to them, but they were reticent to support each other's concerns in fear that they themselves would lose ground or get left behind. So at one meeting, uh, Pastor Barber gathered some of the key neighborhood leaders and he asked them to write down all the various issues that people were struggling with. You know, from food insecurity to affordable housing to fair pay, so on and so forth. But interestingly, they didn't stop there. These leaders also began to to write down all the forces that used, all the forces that stood in the way of these things. And interestingly enough, they found that it was these same forces that were opposing all these issues. These leaders began to realize that the same forces that were working against families finding affordable housing, out of health care and, and quality education, were the same forces that were fighting, fighting against equal opportunities for LGBT persons, spreading racism and prejudice, and stoking fear of migrants. Now in Christianity, historically, we've, we've called these forces evil. And when it personified the devil, and whether or not we believe in a literal Satan or understand evil as systemic and structural, I think we can agree that there are forces, there are powers, there are principalities, as the Apostle Paul uh, used, that seek to thwart the radical, expansive, good news of God made known in Jesus. I remember, uh, perhaps you've read this before 1 Peter 5 8. Keep alert. Like a roaring lion, your adversary, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour. The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 6.12: For our struggle is not against the enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. We're not competing with one another. We're not competing with one another. That is, if I can say, it's a lie of the devil. We're competing with forces that seek us to bring us down, to seek to bring every single one of us down. So what can we do? The good news, the good news is that the one we follow, the one we worship, Came to defeat the powers of evil and set us free from all those who would seek to bind and oppress us. I feel like in in, uh, William Barber's church, where we say, Can I get an amen? Right? The good news is that the one we follow, the one we worship, came to defeat the powers of evil that came, that seeks to destroy and oppress us. And it set us free from those. That's good news. Jesus himself announced in Luke chapter 4 that he had come to bring good news. I remember the story from Luke chapter 4. Jesus is, he enters the temple and he reads, you know, they had a, in the the ancient temple system, they'd have a time where they, or a synagogue, excuse me, in in the synagogue, um, they'd have a time where they'd read from their ancient text, just kind of like we do today, and the other ancient text was a a text we know as um, Isaiah. And he read from that text then, and he's enrolled the scroll, Luke chapter 4, verse uh, 17, and then we're going to start at 18. He enrolled the scroll... For the prophet Isaiah that was handed him, he unrolled it and he began to read where it was written: "The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release of the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor." And he did something pretty interesting. He set the scroll down, and rolled it up, gave it back to the attendant. Sat down, and everybody was watching him. All the eyes of the synagogue were on him, and he he said to them, "Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing." I mean, whoa! It's like a mic drop right there, right? Today, these words have been fulfilled in your hearing. Wow! You know, as the church. As a community of Jesus followers on earth, we are to be a living example of God's love and God's justice, what that can mean for all people. I mean, the sad reality, though, is that we often fall short. Christianity is often a self serving religion meant to benefit us without really showing any real regard to the real life struggles of others. But the thing is, this kind of self serving Christianity, this kind of self-centered church really only serves to maintain the status quo. Because think about it. if I'm only worried about myself, my own issues, my own relationship with God, only me, I can't ever think about someone else's issues, your issues. But here's the thing. I believe we can't ever find True freedom, theologically, we might say true salvation, if our neighbor is still struggling, still facing discrimination, still being rejected. When we come together as a church, as a community of faith, we do so supporting one another, lifting up each other's real life struggles and, and challenges, seeking to show compassionate love to everyone. Understanding that the same forces that seek to hurt us are the same forces that are seeking to hurt our neighbor. But in following the way of Jesus, we bring God's love and justice for all people. So our task, first and foremost, is to listen and then to love. Love. We can't know, we cannot know each other's pain and suffering until we listen to one another. We can't know each other's struggles and the things we have in common until we understand the stories and struggles of our neighbors. But when we take a moment to listen, I think we'll find our struggles in their struggles, our pain in their pain, our hope in their hope, our freedom in their freedom. We'll love, will love in God's love. You know, as I, as I sat there seven years ago almost, my stomach was churning, my head was fuzzy. I was thinking about my daughter. And I started to listen. I started to listen to these young men, And I heard... I began to hear in their struggles, my own struggles. And the words of Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King came to mind. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable web of mutuality, tied to a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. My daughter, my son, my family, we will never find health and happiness and success until these students find health and happiness and opportunity. So the choice that I faced those seven years ago in that room is a choice that we each face every single day of our lives. We can turn our heads and ignore the real life struggles of others. We can live us against the world, each in our own silos, everyone on their own, divided. We can live in fear and suspicion, you know, everyone is out to get us for everyone's my enemy, everyone's my my competitor. You know, it's a zero-sum game. Everyone is looking out for themselves. Let's build us a castle. Let's you know, let's stockpile us some food, and let's let's be prepared to defend at all costs. That's one possibility. Or we can open our hearts to listen to the stories of others coming together in support of our shared struggles, our shared mutuality, our shared humanity, seeking to live God's love and God's justice, if even in some small way. And really, the choice is up to us, which sounds better, and maybe more, what is really the way of Jesus? You know, here together as a church, as a small community of faith, we can live into God's love and God's welcome and God's inclusion and welcoming everyone, sharing readily, and spreading God's love and justice for all. The choice is yours and mine to live in fear and division or to act in God's love and mutuality. I believe that when we open our hearts and listen, this week you can check back for new messages each tuesday if you're in the denver area come see us this sunday you can find out more about our service times as well as the mission and vision of mg thornton at mg that's m-g-t-h-o-r-n-t-o-n dot o-r-g see you next week